Welcome back to Point of Sale, the retail supply chain show where we break down great retailers, the supply chains that move them, and the data they use to make decisions. I'm your host, Andrew Cox, and senior retail analyst here at FreightWaves. And today's episode is one I am very excited for. I think I'm going to learn as much in this episode as any of the audience. Uh, we're talking about the future of food delivery. We're talking about micro-fulfillment at lightning speed, the 15 to 20-minute delivery speed of you know three to 5,000 SKUs happening in this industry, it is uh, a very competitive industry. They've got many players that are well-funded. There's been over a billion dollars invested into this industry over the last year since the pandemic began. So there is a lot going on, a lot of very promising companies. And with me to distill all of it, talk about some of the trends, some of the companies to watch, is Mr. Matt Newberg. He is the founder of a really cool startup called Hungry. It is, I'm gonna let him tell you all about it, but I do wanna take a moment to thank my sponsor, ArcBest. ArcBest is more than logistics. Whatever you do, whatever you ship, ArcBest makes it easier for you to do business. ArcBest combines reliable capacity, innovative technology, and trusted relationships to take the complexity out of your supply chain and keep your shipments moving. That's what makes ArcBest more than logistics. All right, Matt, my man, thank you so much for taking the time. He is rocking the Hungry shirt uh, today. That is, of course, his company. So tell us a little bit about Hungry and why you started it when you did. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Uh, great to be here. Um, yes, I started Hungry in 2019 and kind of all it all kind of started with ghost kitchens. I saw that about two thirds of, of the restaurant industry was already going off premise and had, had heard rumblings of Travis Kalanick from Uber's next startup and uh, basically decided to make a documentary um, that took a firsthand look at some of the restaurateurs that were adopting the, the fully ghost kit, you know, fully off-premise digital model with ghost kitchens, uh, creating their own virtual brands. Uh, some, some had existing retail locations and others were just going full on virtual. And, and as I kind of peeled back the, all these layers of the onions, I just realized how much this was going to transform the way we eat. And, uh, you know, I basically decided to stop everything I was doing, some consulting for a food delivery company, had worked in tech as a product manager, and basically just dropped everything, decided to start documenting what I was seeing week over week uh, within, you know, trends within grocery, restaurants, alternative protein. Um, but, you know, the, the, the heart of what I've been doing has really been around the next generation of food delivery and, and what that's going to look like uh, within the next 10 years. Yeah, it's kind of at the intersection of food and technology, Hungry Sits. We're going to talk about a, a few different business models here. I think we should start uh, with just the fast delivery. This is the one I'm most excited about. Uh, there's a lot of companies you know, getting into this industry, into this vertically integrated model of owning micro-fulfillment centers, these dark marts or dark stores, as you will explain. Tell me about this model. What, uh, you know, why are so many people jumping into this model? Why is there so much money pouring into this industry? I think, you know, one of the big proof points was GoPuff raising, you know, a billion dollars on, you know, about $9 billion post-money valuation recently. And I think what makes those models unique is is the fact that they're first-party retailers. So, you know, I would say Delivery 1.0 was, you know, Grubhub and Seamless Web, you know, basically aggregating um, restaurants 
and allowing those restaurants to fulfill those these orders from a fax machine that were faxed in from office buildings nearby and have bike couriers deliver them. The next wave was what we saw with DoorDash and Uber Eats and Postmates, basically enabling logistics for those businesses, but still no one was getting into the preparation of the food. And now what we're seeing with cloud kitchens and with now on the convenience front with Dashmart and GoPuff and now these newer, faster competitors is this is a full on vertical model where these companies are actually getting into retail and actually taking on inventory risk and, and as a result are able to achieve, you know, 20 ish percent uh, net margins um, on a per order basis, which is very compelling. So the simple answer is, is it's a very profitable model um, if you can pull it off at scale and you can get, you know, a lot of um, efficiencies when it comes to the picking and and the delivery fulfillment um, from very small warehouses located at the last mile. Is this a better business? You said, you know, delivery 1.0, delivery 2.0. Is this, you know, delivery 3.0? Is it a better business? Uh, you know, is GoPuff, you know, the model of GoPuff, a better, better model than Uber Eats model, just being the third-party delivery? I believe so. I believe that, you know, Uber Eats, if it's lucky, can get to break even. And, and I don't think that Uber really wants to see it really become that, pro or needs to see it become that profitable. I think they already have a profitable business in rideshare. And so what, what it comes down to for them, and they've even partnered with GoPuff. Um, and I think the, a lot of these companies would rather, would rather um, not invest in the, you know, upfront capital to actually build out stores and take on inventory risk, you know, the Ubers and of the world and, and, and just become kind of a demand generating platform. And obviously DoorDash is, I think, doing this as doing its own dash marts as well. But I think the majority of its business will always be through off the back of other retailers. It's just, they're getting into some mix of their own. So I think it is, it is a superior model um, because the unit economics are very promising, um, but you still need to have something else. So if you're not going to do this, um, you need something else to, you know, make a, a decent contribution margin on for Uber. It's, going to be rides, TBD on what that is for DoorDash, if Dashmart is their, you know, kind of way to really generate significant um, margin, but um, you need to, to, it needs to fuel something. Right. Let's, let's talk about some of the nuances here of these models. Uh, so we've mentioned GoPuff, we've mentioned DoorDash, we mentioned Uber. Uh, let's start with GoPuff because this is, as you, as you mentioned, uh, you know, raised a billion dollars recently, got a $9 billion valuation. They're stealing tech talent from Uber and, and the likes of Silicon Valley's finest. So talk to me about GoPuff. They, you know, they were started by two students at Drexel University in 2013, but, and, you know, just, you know, kind of selling stoner essentials uh, to, to college kids, but have quickly, you know, expanded into hundreds, to thousands of SKUs and in hundreds of markets. And they yeah. own their inventory. They, as you said, are taking this inventory right. risk. So tell me about their model. Yeah, I think, you know, they started as a kind of uh, instant need service uh, on college campuses, not focused on food. It was very much jewel pods, rolling papers. Um, things you would find in, you know, in the pharmacy kind of at eye level and very, like, I think it was like 40 SKUs, right? And it's, this was eight years ago in Philadelphia. And they were kind of the early pioneers of the dark micro fulfillment model of just housing items in warehouses and delivering it within 30 minutes. It was pretty much just them. And, and Amazon had about 
has about 50 prime now um, locations where they're doing, you know, something somewhat similar. And so they, since then they've <clears throat> expanded and um, into, you know, I think more suburban mar- metros and, um, you know, tier two cities. And now they've really gotten to the point where, I mean, they have, they, they acquired a retailer called BevMo in California, uh, which has about 161 locations and they are a liquor retailer. And with that entire footprint, they will actually have about 400 uh, micro fulfillment centers and 160 of them will be retail stores. And I think the future is that they're going to become a, you know, first and foremost, a, a delivery service that offers instant needs. And then second, they, they will be a, a retailer and they will be expanding more into, I think, some of the things that you would be getting from an Instacart or, or grocer um, and start to play really heavily in the grocery space. Um, you know, so what they've done with BevMo is basically taken a liquor store and allocated about 25% of it to a mix of, you know, everything from like frozen food to some, you know, basic dairy staples and, and other non-perishables or, you know, center aisle items that are, you know, have longer shelf life. And so they can figure out what those are and, and deliver them at, at a decent speed and, and cost to the consumer, then um, I think it's a very disruptive model. Yeah, one of the things I was going to ask you was, you know, which of these models presents the most utility to consumers in your mind? Because when I see, um, you know, the, the big thing that people complain about when they order food from, you know, DoorDash or Uber Eats or Instacart even is the delivery fees. I mean, they are, they can be steep in many of the times, but that's one of the calling cards for GoPuff. And one of the calling cards of vertically integrating and owning the inventory is that you can generate your margin on the product itself and not generate your margin on the gig economy right. workers that are delivering the food. So, you know, I think sure. their, their flat fee is less than $2 an order, I think, at GoPuff. You know, right. that, that presents a lot of utility. Is that the type of model you think mm-hmm. that, or, or the, the type of offering that eventually wins out? Yeah, I mean, I'm, you're starting to see another wave of smaller guys that are trying to compete against GoPuff that are basically waiving the delivery fee and having no minimum size of orders. And so the hope is that, like, even if you order a can of Coke <laughs> and someone delivers it to you, that at some point, you know, the, the, those orders are fewer and far between. Um, and I think it's really, you know, the question is like, is there a real big gap between a service that can offer you 30 minutes delivery of about, you know, 5,000 SKUs or 6,000 SKUs and one that can give you maybe half that selection in 15 minutes? Like the, the difference between 15 and 30 is at this point, I think is, is moot. But I think it's really a marketing ploy to get people to think, you know, that this impossible scenario, the, the scenario that was like impossible so long ago right. is actually here and that they're going to try it out. And that hopefully as these companies expand into more skewed categories that they'll become loyal. Um, so I think the utility is really in offering the most selection under an hour. And I think, you know, Instacart is signaling that they're also going to be playing in, in, in the, you know, one hour kind of time with some of the automation they're rolling out. Um, and I think that's kind of where this is all headed. 
Yeah, do you, uh, I don't know if you watched Ned's Declassified growing up, but they always had that one kid, he had the cell phone and he could just call and he could, you know, have anything he wanted delivered there in like 15 minutes and the guy would like fly up on a scooter. That's mm -hmm. what they're pushing for, you know, and I wanted to yes. uh, talk about some of those, you know, smaller competitors that you were speaking of that are even faster that, you know, maybe waiving sure. these fees. I'm thinking of, you know, Joker and I've heard of uh, Gorillas, yes. you know, talk to me a little bit about them or, you know, yeah. can they come in and take some of this market? And then as a follow-up, is this a winner take most market? So yeah, so those companies are, you know, there there's a ton of there's over a dozen in in Europe and in the Middle East that are currently operating and there's even like Delivery Hero which is a publicly traded company has been doing this um for a while now. They have about 600 uh I believe DMARTs across the world and um you know the notable ones that have come into New York City are um like you said Joker which is backed by SoftBank that raised a crazy round recently, um, and there was that has like 120, 130 million behind it. Um, and then you have Gorillas, which raised a, uh, recently raised as a, at a billion dollar valuation. And you have um, uh, what else is there? Um, Fridge No More, which is a local one, and then you have 1520, which is former Yandex uh, employees. So Yandex has actually been doing dark stores in um, Russia for, for some time, um, offering that kind of last mile delivery. Um, sorry, what was the second part of your question? Well, well, first, is it a, is it a winner take most market? And is, and is the U.S. Uh, right, right. lagging here uh, in this industry? Are other yes. countries and densely, more densely populated areas further along? Absolutely. I mean, this is Getir is kind of the pioneer. They've been in Turkey and Istanbul and different cities um, over there uh, for a while now. Um, and they kind of pioneered this whole model and have have gotten really good margins through their relationships with, you know, big CPG companies like Unilever. Um, we're talking about some 50% gross margins on some products. And so is it a winner takes all market? I don't think so. I think, I think it's a land grab, right? I think if, if it is a winner takes all market in New York, you know, the question is like how many of these things are going to see? There, there shouldn't just be one for the Upper East Side, one for downtown. It's going to be one company that's going to own Brooklyn and Manhattan and, and the five boroughs. Um, TBD on, on what that what that company is. It's going to be whoever can spend the most dollars efficiently. So, um, so yeah, I, I, I do think it's, you know, basically it's a whole new wave of retail um, where you're going to see a lot of vacant spaces get converted into dark micro-fulfillment centers that can offer this delivery through like an e-scooter or bike um, within 15, 20 minutes. And, um, you know, and then the stores that are, that do have a storefront should be thinking about how they can actually turn some of this on. And I think that's going to be the bigger response is like, you have a retail store, you're already at the last mile of the customer. Why not do some sort of offering where you can basically mimic this, this kind of service for your customers? Right, we're we're definitely seeing that uh, with uh, with Walmart. They are building out their you know local fulfillment centers as they're calling them onto the back of the stores. They're between eight thousand and twenty thousand uh, square foot. I think they've got one right now in, in New Hampshire, but they've got plans for twenty of them this year. Target has also unveiled some plans to build more automated you know micro fulfillment centers inside or on the back mm -hmm. of their stores. So they're not going to sit back and just let this happen, right? There's going to be competition from the big guys as well. Amazon is obviously in this uh, as, as much as anybody. I did have, I wanted to go back uh, and one, ask one last question. Are those, um, the BevMo stores, have they been rebranded GoPuff? Do they have the GoPuff name on the stores? 
So um, they are not on the main marquee. Uh, they have some in-store marketing. They, they've basically started to label some, they have like end caps on the ends of their aisles that promote it. And there's some little like door hanger type things hanging on bottles of products and Got it. to get you to, you know, try a key, uh, not a QR code, but uh, like a promo code uh, where you can get free delivery. So they're really trying to build that flywheel between uh you know, brick and mortar retail and online customer and uh, online delivery and build that kind of relationship and loyalty. And and one interesting um, stat is that another company called Foxtrot, which has about a, a little bit over a dozen, um, can, you know, kind of new wave convenience stores uh, in Chicago and DC and a few other markets is that, you know, th- these guys have been, th- these guys started as, as kind of, brick and mortar plus one hour delivery, um, from the ground up. And, and they've seen about, you know, 50% of their sales go digital and 50% in store. So it's a basically an even split between, you know, online and offline. And I think that's kind of the ideal state of what this all looks like is like, can you, you know, for an Amazon fresh, for example, it's probably going to be much lower, right? Like not 50% of people shopping inside those fresh stores. It's going to be, you know, maybe 25 I, who knows what it is but those things can can service a very interesting radius of prime customers so it's it's going to be this flywheel between like you know obviously the dark stores don't have this but you know the brick and mortar retail like a bevmo like an amazon fresh and what that online you know experience is like and how that all ties together Matt, what what broad strokes can be painted about these companies? Like, what what are these you know these fast, nimble startups? What do they have in common? And you know, what are some of mm-hmm. the things that they have that are that are doing slightly differently that you know separates one or the other from the pack? Um, I mean, they, the 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 really nimble ones are going for a very limited selection of SKUs. Um, the you know, GoPuff is also is somewhere in between that and and you know, a Walmart or a Target or an Amazon. And so it just comes down to, I think, like a, a trade-off between selection and speed. But at, at the end of the day, I, I think people are going to be pretty loyal to their subscriptions of what they're, whatever they're a member of. It's, you know, Walmart Plus, Amazon Prime, and, and there'll be a battle on that front. Um, GoPuff does have a, a loyalty program called FAM. So um, uh, some of the things that they do, like, you know, what the, the, the little guys don't do this as well, but like, you know, I, I think GoPuff uses machine learning in the same way that Amazon does on a, you know, when you land on the homepage to, to basically recommend you um, specific products given your location and, um, you know, really understanding what that curated selection is. And I think these companies have been around a little bit longer that, you know, they can actually, they already have that advantage of knowing what sells in certain markets. So, um, that is something that the newer guys are going to need to, to test and test quickly. That cold start problem for a joker, you have, you know, a ton of money behind you, but do you even really know what people want to buy, you know, and you're offering a much limited selection. So, um, another common theme is that, you know, the, the little guys are using e-scooters and bikes and they're really focused on, you know, very dense neighborhoods. Whereas like, I think, you know, GoPuff is more, I think, suburban and, and they're going to be using cars. Um, same with Amazon. I was surprised with Amazon Fresh and like how how tight of a radius it, it was when I was a driver. It was about no more than a mile and a half radius when I was doing my uh, 
undercover gig work for them. We can talk more about that. But, yeah, yeah, I was going to uh, uh, ask you about that. Uh, tell, let's just let's just dive into that just for a moment because uh, Matt did go undercover as a uh, as a as not a not a flex driver but a grocery delivery driver. Correct? No, no, it was a flex. It oh, was a flex, flex driver. You can yeah, sign right, up. You can do both. Yeah. Got it. Okay. So yeah. So tell us about uh, your experience as an Amazon Flex driver for the couple of days you did it. Right. As you said, very tight radius. You delivered a lot of goods. Tell us. You know. Also give us a little bit of the, yeah. the unit economics, kind of the back of the envelope math you had done. Right. The back of the envelope math is about fifty cents uh, per bag. Uh, is what I figured out based on what I was being paid, and they figured out exactly. You know, I gave them my make and model of my car, um, and they. They figured out how many packages, how many bags to give me at any given time, and then I would just basically do milk runs back to the back to the fresh store to do it. And I did it two different ones: one in North Hollywood, one in Northridge, out here in LA. And um, you know, they have a a model that's different than Instacart's uh, legacy model of in-store shopper, where they have kind of it split between you know flex drivers that just pick up the orders and then dedicated full-time staff that works at the fresh store that picks um, picks the groceries and packs it all up. Um, and some some customers are paying additional fees for one-hour delivery or, you know, um, expedited fulfillment. So I, I'm pretty confident that they selected their sites based on pre-existing demographic data that they had from their Amazon Prime customers and try to figure out those, like, upward those neighborhoods with upward mobility um they're they're very middle class areas and and then one the one in north hollywood is actually on the ground floor of a you know apartment building with a lot of you know millennials and um it seems like you know tech workers that want nice amenities in their building and so it's interesting over there because doordash has also identified this and so has another company called reef which is also doing food delivery so if you actually drive within like a one mile radius in North Hollywood, you'll see like these three companies doing something interesting. Um, you know, DoorDash has its own ghost kitchen out there, and, and so does Reef, and so it's pretty fascinating. Yeah, it is absolutely fascinating, and and you know, Amazon is so you're right about that. They're so surgical uh, in how they select things, the way that they move into markets. They copy what right. they need uh, from the best, and then cut them out. Uh, I, okay, I'm glad you mentioned Ghost Kitchens because I want to talk a little bit about Cloud Kitchens. Uh, you know, this this I read that article on Vice that I think you were mentioned, and you know, this off-the-shelf delivery brands that they've been very quietly uh, rolling out. <laughs> and one one that blew my mind right. was the you know the Unilever's ice cream shop. I you, you know you mentioned yeah. Unilever earlier, and apparently they've been doing this in other countries for some time. But just talk to me about you know what Cloud Kitchens is doing, especially with these off the off the shelf brands and helping restaurants sell. And I, I saw one pizza company was selling about under thirty two different brands uh, somewhere in Chicago, right. like just unbelievable. So walk me through that. <laughs> so Cl- Cloud Kitchens is a is a kind of a a mafia, like a conglomerate of lots of little entities underneath it. You know. And so at the, at the core and is the real estate. They actually, unlike any other company in this space, um, not even Amazon owns its own real estate. And that's interesting. Uh, we'll get back to that. But on top of that real estate are, you know, for each location that they purchase, they basically, you know, convert it into a warehouse of 30 to 40 subdivided 200 square foot kitchens. And so in order to break even for an operator, given the fact that you're only selling on the major marketplaces, Uber Eats, DoorDash, et cetera, Grubhub, you need to generate, you know, something close to three quarters of a million dollars in sales. And so to, to hit that kind of hurdle, 
um, and that threshold, you you might need an additional revenue stream. So Cloud Kitchens has basically tried to help its tenants, you know, pay their rent. Um, and Cloud Kitchens also gets a percentage of all the sales that that pass through them. Um, and so, yeah, they've created you know secondary tertiary brands um, based on you know I think they probably test different. AB test different versions of things and see what, what people click on. And it's the dumbest things that you could possibly <laughs> imagine that are aimed at, you know, stoner college kids, which seems to be a good strategy for this market. Um, and, you know, they've even gone as far as licensing some of those brands outside their brick and mortar, outside of their ghost kitchens to random mom and pop brick and mortars, promising them an incremental few thousand dollars in, in sales per week. And so that's where this thing called Future Foods came in as kind of this, um, you know, kind of a next bite competitor, which is, you know, the the virtual brand arm of another company called Ordermark um, that's backed by SoftBank. And so the goal with that is to, you know, basically they have a, a tablet that collects data on all these delivery orders on all the major platforms that they basically give to brick and mortar restaurants that are licensing these brands so they, they can source them and fulfill them and, and they can collect data on restaurants that are outside of their ghost kitchens to see if there's an opportunity to copy what they're doing or you know bring them into one of their kitchens at some point in the future. So um, they're attacking it on all fronts. And the cool thing about owning the real estate is they, they will leverage technology and having a better understanding of what people want to improve the, the value of that property in a massive way. You can think of it like, the people that own cell phone carrier, own cell phone towers and sell them to the carriers. It's going to be a major roll up, something like that, where you'll have a tech company and a property company kind of feeding each other. Yeah, it's funny. We're seeing you know similar things where it's a uh, a, a a product company and trying to get into a media. Uh, Freight Waves is one of them here. You know, a product company that uses media to attract customers and to uh, to generate more. So definitely mm -hmm. a similar model. I. All right, we only have, unfortunately, only have about three minutes uh, here, Matt. So <laughs> let's, uh, I, I wanted to do a new segment, and I thought of it about 10 minutes before we started today, and I'm just going to call it Shed Some Light. And I want you to shed some light on something that you're seeing in your coverage in your industry that not enough people are talking about. The one thing that I think no one's talking about is that as much as we talk about delivery, we need to talk about out-the-window takeout sales. Uh, pr prior to COVID, that was about 60% of restaurant sales. Um, was takeout and drive through. And the other 3% of that two thirds stat I mentioned at the beginning, that 3% was, was delivery. Obviously, delivery has grown a lot. Um, it's, you know, probably more than doubled at this point from that point, but that's still very tiny and it pales in comparison to what we're seeing with takeout and drive through. So, and this all really was stemmed from from looking at Olo's financials and, and and what they've been talking about in their S one, which is that you know takeout is a much bigger opportunity than delivery for them. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because the same is true for retailers at Target, Walmart, Best Buy, all the big retailers. I've 
long thought that BOPIS uh, and curbside pickup, these services that allow you to cut your routine trip down by 90% at no additional cost, like I think that presents so right. much utility to consumers. Whereas, you know, delivery right. has a lot of, not only does it have a cost, but it's got hidden costs of having to schedule sure. your delivery, make sure there's somebody there. Uh, you know, there's a lot of, right. uh, of difficulty there. So I, I, love, uh, I love pickup and, uh, and, and buy online pickup in store. So I agree with you on that one. Uh, Matt, like I said, unfortunately, got to wrap this up, but I want to give you the opportunity to tell everybody listening where to go to find more about Hungry, where they can go and sign up Thank for you. your newsletter, some of your content. Thank you. Yeah, if you want to learn more about you know the, the latest and these emerging trends at the intersection of food and tech, head to hungry.tv. You spell it just with no U, H-N-G-R-Y.tv. There's a free newsletter, and if you're really, really interested in reading all the details and all the juicy stuff, you can check out Trends, which is the paid premium subscription where you can read all these stories about Amazon, DoorDash, and all these quick commerce players. Uh, something new every week and exciting. Uh, Matt, I've got 30 seconds and I think we can fit in one more question. Why are you, uh, why are you bearish on Akado and maybe fully, you know, CFCs, uh, uh, technologies that, you know, fully automated, uh, centralized fulfillment centers? You got 30 seconds. Let's get it. Amazon is building out about a million square feet of same-day infrastructure per major metropolitan market, and it's within, call it, 45 miles of the customer. Okada's doing 10 of them, and they're 90 miles, and they can only offer next day. Mic drop right there. Yeah. So, yeah, they've, they've tried to backtrack and say they're going to add in micro-fulfillment centers somewhere in between, but that just, that will take out, that will cannibalize the huge investment that they've already made into these $50 million-plus right. massive units. All right. Matt, thank you so much, my man. This has been awesome. We'll have you back in a few months to chat again. Thank you so much. Everybody go to Hungry and check out his content. That's been it for episode 14 of Point of Sale. We will be back next week with Ark Best. Thank you so much for paying attention. See you next time.